Hello, and welcome to the Keen on Things podcast. I'm your host. Uh, I always forget this part. Oh, Patrick Keen. That's it. That's it. Episode 33 coming at you. Just like the label on the back of Rolling Rock Beer from Pennsylvania, the number 33 is on the back of those labels. I don't know when the last time you had Rolling Rock bottled beer, but it's a nice, tall, long, green bottle. Nobody knows why it's on there, but uh, it was on the original recipe, I guess, for this Pennsylvania product, and it just stayed. It just stayed. It's also in the movie Deer Hunter, I believe. You can see Rolling Rock beers. Someone said, let's just keep it, or it was an oversight, one of the two. Um, Anyway, I used to drink that beer a lot in college with my dude bros. Uh, No idea if it's good. I still don't know. It's been a long time. God, in college you drink such piss, don't you? I remember Henry Weinhardt's, which was like luxury. And I like the bottles. I like the packaging. Is that beer even still around? I haven't seen one of those in so long. We drank Keystone Light in Montana, where I went to college. That's got to be straight piss. I mean, that's not even partial. I mean, did they even try to disguise it? And then Ham's was the low point, which hipsters drink in L.A. downtown now. And I'm just like, yeah, did it did it the first time. Uh, anyway, not so much anymore. Number 33, like Larry Bird, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Marcus Allen in college, he would drop one number and be 32 for the uh, Raiders. Kenny King was 33 for the Raiders. Sean Macias for the charter football team at Santa Margarita High School. All war, 33. Also Patrick Ewing. No relation to the Ewing family in Dallas, Fort Worth. Dun 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 That show, man. That opening sequence with the stadium. Okay, anyway, welcome. What a week, huh? Dodgers, Doyers won the World Series. Uh, I didn't feel good about the Dodgers' chances going into game six last Tuesday, but the Rays manager pulled their pitcher when he was locked in. And when you're locked in, you don't touch, right? You don't touch. Don't worry about statistics and any dictating factors outside that, which he was going by that guy's history of maybe crumbling in game sixes or having some rough, I'm sorry, inning six. And he was uh, going by the numbers that said he didn't have a good history then. Um, they were on the doorstep of an epic performance by that pitcher. I think he they were up 1-0, nothing in the game, and... He was going to be something special that night. He gives up a hit, and they pull him. Short leash for that manager. And then the Dodgers went on to get two that inning and then another in an inning later. And they won game six, three to one, and won the World Series. And it was incredible. But uh, they should have left that pitcher in, then bring whomever in. I mean, that kid could have gotten out of the sixth, and I think he would have gone into the seventh. And then you bring in someone for eight and nine maybe two different guys, and then three total pitchers win that game and then send it to game seven. You don't know what's going to happen right but point is i didn't feel good about six they did win it i was excited i'm happy um but uh what am i okay my roommate dave burley and i were talking about a game seven he wanted a game seven which is nice because you know we don't want to take a night off from sports not during the pandemic you need things to uh kind of keep you grounded and sane um but i wanted it over I just don't, you know, I want it over because there's a lot of pressure on the Dodgers for this, this season, this team to win it, you know, the best record and a few previous world series losses in the last few years. Um, I even tweeted about lack of sports for one day because we didn't get a game seven. So we didn't get Joe Buck. So we didn't get anything last Wednesday. We had him on Tuesday, 
for the World Series, then Thursday night football, and I tweeted, hey, you know, having Joe Buck withdrawals on this Wednesday night. Because um, that, that Wednesday night was the first night there wasn't anything, you know, basketball, football, baseball, hockey. Scary. Joe Buck withdrawals. So uh, Dave wanted game seven, my roommate. I wanted it over. All right. Dave wanted game seven games, which I get. I didn't uh, want the Rays to have any momentum. I felt that winning a game six and then putting the pressure on Walker Bueller to win game seven for the Dodgers is just, it's too much. And it's a, uh, well, not a no win situation. But uh, anyway, I didn't want any momentum and I didn't want a game seven. And apparently neither did the Rays manager. Thank you. Um, a couple, why do I have a couple glaring mistakes over the years? Oh, okay. 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 So I want to talk really quick about a couple glaring mistakes I've seen in sports. I'm no professional. I don't know what I'm talking about, but there are things that a fan of a sports fan notices. And, uh, I try not to second guess some of these decisions by the pros, but I will say here's some glaring ones that, uh, I criticized, um, Grady Little leaving Pedro in in 2003 against the Yankees. Game six, I believe, of the ALCS. Um, was losing, was losing, and then lost. They had a lead, and then he got a little rattled, and then boom. They left him in, and the, the floodgates opened. Uh, Pete Carroll not running the ball with Marshawn Lynch against the Patriots in the Super Duper Bowl. They were just rolling down the field, and they were at like the three, and they went to the air and threw a pick. Not an incomplete pass, a pick. Uh, and then the Rays manager taking out uh, that kid in game in inning six. Brutal. Crazy. Okay. Um, I'll tell you, man, but I'm excited about the Dodgers. And, and by the way, we're on election eve here. This is this is going out on election eve. We're five minutes in. This is election eve, and uh, I'm still in a good mood. I'm trying to stay. stay. I was a little bummed last night. But uh, the Dodgers and the World Series from last week has me over the moon. Over the sun? Not quite. Uh, obviously from Michigan, born in Salido, um, raised a Tigers fan. That whole ilk was all Tigers fans. Stadium was 45 minutes from our place, which I think is the same freaking distance that, uh, Dodger stadium is from my home now. But, uh, the Dodgers were always, uh, another team I loved. And I think it came from 1981, my grandpa Keen, my dad's dad watching the world series, um, you know, at his house in Toledo, it was the 81 World Series. I was nine. Okay, so this is f three years before the Tigers would do it, which would really bring him joy. But he was pulling for the Dodgers. And I don't know if he hated the Yankees necessarily or just wanted something new or different. I guess non-Yankee fans that are baseball fans hate the Yankees by nature. Um, so, yeah. So from watching him with my grandpa Keen, listening to him on the radio, where he would, of course, turn down the volume on the radio, I'm sorry, on the TV, and watch the TV, but listen to the radio like everybody's grandpa did, um, who was born in the 20th century. And then uh, they had a spare bedroom. My grandparents did it, my grandpa and grandma Keen, and I would go, and they had a TV, an old TV that like only a few channels worked. And I would spend a lot of Saturday nights there because my parents were like, go, go, because we didn't have a TV for a while, and I think they wanted a normal, somewhat normal childhood um, with my older brother being special needs and stuff. And... Uh, Maybe it was just one less kid for my parents to have over the weekend because they had the special needs kid and they had uh, a younger Dennis and Katie. And they're like, let's let this one go for a while. So I'd go spend the night at my uh, 
grandma and grandpa's house on Yermo in Toledo off Alexis. And uh, they had that spare bedroom. And I would usually watch the opening monologue to SNL back then. I think it was Eddie Murphy and Billy Crystal and stuff like that. And it just blew my mind. It wasn't the Lauren Mc- Lauren Michaels years. But I would watch the opening monologue, fall asleep, and then go to bed up in that spare bedroom. And right before I went to bed, I'd put on a late Dodger game. that Because out here it was only 8 or 9 or 10 o'clock. Back there it's obviously midnight, 1 in the morning. And... Man, the air and the, the the Dodger game and that guy that used to, you know, um, have a little machine that could detect the pitch the pitch speed. He was back there with a little fedora hat on and a mustache and the layout of the stadium and you could see those faces and uh, the uniforms and that L.A., you know, that, that L.A. air. Well, at the time, the L.A. air, L.A. weather. But there was just something sexy about it as a kid. Not libido sexy, but, you know, other type. And then my Aunt Colleen, who was my dad's little sister, she lived. She had a place in Highland Park we would visit. We'd come out to L.A. to visit. And I've got a great Echo Park joke. Um, it's ironic that if you yell help in Echo Park, nobody hears you. Either time. Right? There's no Echo, but anyway. Um, but that, they've cleaned it up a little bit. That's got hipstery. Who knows now? I don't know. Um, so yeah, so from Grandpa Keen watching the World Series to me watching in their spare bedroom after SNL, uh, to my Aunt Colleen's place in Highland Park, which is right in our corner, there's a st- sign that said Dodger Stadium, and I was like, ooh, oh, as a little kid, you know. And then get Kirk Gibson coming out from the Tigers. We're huge Kirk Gibson fans in 88, after his 84 performance. Uh, and the Tigers in 87, he, he, he and the Tigers were expected to win, but they got upset by the Twins, who just were monsters that postseason. And then Kirk Gibson comes here the next year in 88 to win a World Series with the Dodgers. It just sealed the fate, you know. And then having lived in L.A. the last 20 years, um, my friends Albert Prida and his brothers were all Dodger fans. And then my brother Dennis Keene worked for the Dodgers for years. So it was, it's over. Game over. Dodger fan. So I didn't know him in Brooklyn. I know they won their first title in 1955 against the Yankees in seven after losing so many to the Yankees. They had always gone to the championship uh, from the National League, but they just lost so many. I got to look at how many they lost and how many they lost to the Yankees because it was a brutal run for the Brooklyn Dodgers. 56, they go back. They lose in seven to the Yankees. They move out to L.A. in 57. Uh, they win it like their second or third year here. They beat the White Sox. Then they beat the Yankees in 63, beat the Twins in 65, get swept by the Orioles in 66. Um, they lose in 74. 77 and 78 they lost three straight before winning again in 81 and then winning again in 88 and several nlcs losses and world series losses between 88 and 2020 32 year hiatus from the world series and then they finally do it against tampa who is so scrappy the rays so the rays will be back they're young they're scrappy but very exciting and i was thrilled and i'm thrilled for la you know I think uh, I know LA's got a ton of basketball titles, but um, the baseball group needed it, man. They needed it. And who does it? Who helps them get there to the promised land? Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts, the manager of uh, of black Japanese descent. His father was in the military. Okinawa, his mama was Japanese. And just a, a good-looking man that just did it for us. 
Um, now the Dave Roberts story is fantastic. This, this, this guy brings success everywhere. And, uh, the whole reason we know who Dave Roberts is right as a player and a manager, his, okay. We just, he was born. Okay. Okay. We did. He born in Okinawa. He was, um, he was with the Boston Red Sox for half a season. I think in 2004, was he traded after got traded from the Dodgers, of course. So he joins the Red Sox midway through Oh four. Just like another Dodger, Kirk Gibson. And like Kirk Gibson, would only have one or two times around the base paths in the ALCS <clears throat> of 2003. A series that would be instrumental in sports. 2003 Red Sox coming down, coming back from 03 to the Yankees is the greatest thing I've ever seen in sports. Not necessarily a Boston fan. Not necessarily a New York fan. Um, but it was the greatest thing I've seen. Um, if I'm Dave Roberts after that World Series in 03, I retire, live off the hog from the ALCS with stories for the rest of time. Uh, Dave Roberts stole a base that got him into scoring position that tied up a game in the bottom of the ninth with the Red Sox down 03 in 2004, October. Gets in a scoring position off a stolen base. Gets knocked in to tie the game. The game goes a few more innings. Red Sox win. David Ortiz home run. Okay. I'm going to take you through this a little bit. So if, if you don't want baseball, I'll talk about the, the election at the close of this episode. Um, Dave Roberts gets on second. He steals the base. Okay, it ties up. David Ortiz. So they go down 3-1. Three, three, Red Sox Red Sox are down 3-1, but at least they don't get swept. The Boston crowd doesn't leave. It's well beyond midnight at that point on the East Coast. That was a Sunday night. Remember, Joe Buck was like, all right, I'll see you tonight. Okay. And I'm going to take you through that. All right. Hi. Okay. Dave Roberts, the manager that now Dodgers, tells a story about how it all went down back in October 2004. It was just after midnight being down 0-3 against one of the greatest baseball teams of all time, right? One of the greatest baseball teams. It was these Yankees. They've won five titles. They're, they've been to seven like World Series in the last nine years at this point. And just before that inning started, Terry Francona, 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 the manager of the Red Sox, told Dave Roberts he'd be pinch running for whoever gets on pace. And so Roberts was stretching in the dugout, getting ready. And then Kevin, I believe Kevin Euclid walked to get on first base bottom of the ninth they're down one and terry francona looked down at the end of the dugout and just winked and that was it dave roberts like okay i'm pinch running i don't think he's been in the game at all during the series and if you go play it back on youtube joe buck says lead off walk and there's life for the red sox doesn't sound anything like him but just those pivotal moments those quotes okay roberts ran out to first base um uh, with what he says felt like several hundred butterflies floating in his stomach. Okay. Um, and Dave Roberts is quoted as saying, he didn't tell me to steal. He didn't have to. He had stolen 33 times in 34 attempts with the Dodgers and then went to the Red Sox halfway the th through the season. Five of seven attempts with the Red Sox. So you can do the numbers there. 38 for 41 stolen bases. Just unbelievable. I remember even my friend Chris, who doesn't really care about sports, was back in Boston then just going crazy about this series because his sister lives there. Um, so Dave Roberts says, I was going to steal. 
That's why I was there. That's what I was going to do. I realized that if I didn't make it, we probably don't win the game, and the series ends right there. There's no outs at this point. Okay. But he had to steal. Okay. Um, if Dave Roberts gets caught stealing, there'll be one out. If he gets caught stealing with the batter, Miller, is it, who was up, Miller? Then it's two outs, and the momentum's gone. Nobody on base. Okay. So he has to be safe if he runs. So while stretching at first base before taking over for Uke, Roberts began getting a little philosophical and like recalling. He had a conversation with old Dodgers coach, Mari Willis. And Mari Willis told him that sometime in your career, you'll be in a park, a baseball stadium, and everyone in the stadium knows you're going to be stealing and you still have to do it. It'll be a big game and it will the game or the series will hinge on you making it. And David Roberts says, I'm stretching there on first base, realizing that Maury was talking about that moment. And it was just unbelievable. And he, and he gets chills. Dave Roberts, I get chills thinking about it. Dave Roberts gets chills. This is more for Red Sox fans than, than Dodger fans um, or sports fans. Dave Roberts gets chills thinking about it like that moment that little piece of wisdom that came from years before and he's like oh my god this is it everybody in the freaking stadium knows he's got to steal that base the pitcher the catcher the ump the whole team um you know when is that when in football do you have to do that like oh they know my route they know where we're going to run the ball uh they know we're blitzing i mean the blitz sometimes uh in basketball hey I, i'm going to take a shot right here in about seven seconds unless you're larry bird you don't see it all right we're going to shoot so you'd think, we know he's stealing, let's just get him. You know, we'll throw high and outside. The batter may or may not swing. The catcher gets it, throws a second, we'll get him out, no problem. Okay? They know it's coming. Everybody in the stadium knows it's coming. The vendors know it's coming. The broadcasters know it's coming. He was sent in as a pinch runner. The season is on the line. He steals. He's safe. And it wasn't a bad throw either. Jorge Posada threw a nice throw. All right? So now they got a runner in scoring position, no outs. Of course, the Red Sox fans haven't left, even though they're down three and have been getting slaughtered in this series, but are hanging on. They just, all they care about is not getting swept. Bill Miller up to bat, gets a single off Mariano Rivera. Robert scores, ties the game. Has to slide into home because there was a throw. There was a throw. It just He beat the throw. There wasn't a tag attempt, but it's a nice play. And there's all the Sox eventually load the bases that inning, and David Ortiz came to the plate, and it's like what he he pops out he out of he was pops out off of a jammed pitch, and Ortiz had struck out in the eighth with someone on base like it was just all these Yankees load the bases in the top of the eleventh Sox get out of it bottom of the twelfth comes Manny Ramirez gets on David Ortiz steps up launches into right field, okay, and Joe Buck says we'll see you tonight for Game Five. Game over, swept, avoided. Sweep avoided. They at least have one more game in Boston. Place is going crazy. Okay. And the anticipation of these announcers or just their ability to improv. We'll see you tonight for game five. Just amazing lines out of Joe Buck. Game five, Pedro takes the mound, strikes out Jeter to start off the game. Gets him again in the third. A couple different strikeouts on Jeter. Roberts ties the game in the eighth on a tag to the plate. Another big play by Dave Roberts. Dodger manager who just led them to the 2020 World Series. He ties a second straight game. 
or T strikes out the bottom of the 10th. This game goes to extra innings, or T strikes out in the bottom of the 10th. Ortiz, for some reason, is on base again in the 12th, tries to steal second, gets thrown out. In the 14th, Johnny Damon walks, Manny Ramirez walks, Ortiz comes to the plate. He'd homered earlier that day in game four. So he homered two different games, not a doubleheader, two different games in the same day. And uh, obviously did did more recent. Yeah, so he homered in game four and game five. And uh, David Ortiz gets a walk-off hit, extra innings for a second straight game. Knocks in Johnny Damon. Johnny Damon, who can keep running to New York. Now the series is sent back to New York for game six and seven if necessary. Either way, the Boston crowd's happy. Not only did we avoid the sweep, we made it a series. It's 3-2. It all goes back to New York now. Who cares? But at the same time thinking, wow, if we win game six, we'll win game seven. Because it's just the cards will fall. The dominoes will fall. That's too much pressure to win a game seven after, even though, uh, who was it? They just did it. The Rays just did it against Houston. You lose three straight after being up three. And I think in the natural, the same thing happened. Um, but just an incredible, it was an incredible sports series, all spawned by Dodgers, Dave, Dave Roberts. It's one of the great moments in sports. Um, they go back to New York feeling, Hey, we didn't get swept, no pressure. Kurt Schilling, bloody sock, takes the mound for game six. You know, if we win game six, we'll win game seven. Right? Because you put so much pressure on them, and it's in New York. And they do. They win game six. A tight, I think it's a one or two run game, bottom of the ninth strikeout to, was it Tony Clark? Uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. You go to game seven, and just, you can imagine the ratings. The Red Sox have battled back. They haven't been to the World Series in almost 100 years. Was it 86 years? I don't know. I'm sorry. They hadn't won the World Series in 86 years. Okay, Johnny Damon leads off game seven, gets on base. Uh, He gets tagged out at the plate in the first inning, but they're getting to the pitcher. He was tagged out at the plate in game six, too, I believe. He wasn't hitting particularly well in this series, so maybe he was trying to start something. In any event, he explodes in Game 7 after after a quiet series. Um, and I remember Game 7. I was just finishing work at the Gilmore Girls that day, Wednesday, October twentieth, two 2004. And he goes on to... Johnny Damon goes on to two home runs that game. Red Sox going to win the series against the Cardinals in the World Series in Game in 4. And they've won three more since then. They've won four World Series in the last uh, 15, 16 years here. And it all started, all started with the Dave Roberts steal, that one play. The defense knew the play was coming. Rarely can that happen. Anyway, Dave Roberts, Boston hero, now L.A. hero. Just like Kirk Gibson was a Detroit hero, Michigan State hero, Detroit hero, and L.A. hero for life. Madge Johnson, Michigan State hero, Laker hero. And now that man is the skipper of the Dodgers and has led them to the promised land. That's the kind of guy they have in charge. Uh, told the team from the beginning of the pandemic not to complain, stay focused on the task, what we're here to do, and just kept it light. And that's what we all need to do through the pandemic. And through if Agent Orange gets elected again, somehow you got to keep it light for four years. I don't know how the hell that's going to happen. Morale is going to be at an all-time low. Maybe for your little pocket financially, it'll be great. For your little society or community wherever you live but i'm telling you 
nationwide, worldwide, morale is going to be so low. Okay, who knows what will change under Biden? I just know it'll be calmer and better a little bit. And then hopefully it gets better from there. Um, Dave Roberts, man, unreal, calm, focused. I experienced, the same, I know the same thing from my team in 1997, managing co-ed softball team Margaritaville Smoothies. Mid and late se- season acquisition of Marine Mocat, Marine Foray, you know, got us over the top, put her on the mound. Let's get it. Case in point, man. Marine motherfucking Foray comes in on the mound, shuts it down. Pitches right to an right undefeated right through the playoffs. Same glory. Right now, Dave Roberts is doing a podcast about me and the Margaritaville smoothies of '97. Um, okay, huge. So tomorrow we have an election. Is that tomorrow? Kidding. You don't think I know? All right, we got to wrap this up here. Okay. Um, Trump has nothing to do with politics. It's a humanity, social survival issue. I'm sure you've already voted by the time you listen to this, if you're listening at all. He's a clown on a global scale. No other leader respects this orange grimace, and they shouldn't. He's a clown. You're a clown for following him. You know, you've been duped or you're in denial. Yeah. Hopefully I don't lose one of my seven listeners on that. Uh, The DNC strategy through all this has been interesting. Um, It's probably despicable, the last two elections of blocking Bernie, 2016, 2020. They blocked him, fact. Uh, it's very interesting, though, as an observer. It's very interesting. Did the DNC prefer Trump to Bernie? The DNC. Because uh, I don't know if they worried, oh, can Bernie win? I think they were like, well, if Bernie does win, then for us financially, we'll have to pay out more to society and help the homeless and help our help humanity more, which we don't want to do. That's not why we got into a politics, even though we're Democrats. But in the Biden versus Bernie debate, it's the question of, can we steal centrist and logical Republicans from Agent Orange by getting Biden in there? Or by getting Bernie in there, will we have to convince too many non-voters to vote? And the DNC obviously went with, let's go with the centrist who can pull from the right, the logical middle, because we at least know that they vote. And we don't care that much about the wars, poverty, environment, prison, industrial complex, so forth. Their stance was Bernie possibly wasn't going to be able to pull people from the right. Possibly correct. I was a Bernie guy, still am, always will be. I believe he would have pulled middle and non-voters and dominated Orange in the debates. Agent Orange. Um, Which is what we deserved. Those debates were farce. Doesn't matter now. Pandemic. Elections tomorrow. Biden, Trump. Please vote if you haven't already. Please vote blue. I shouldn't have to beg but I'm not above it in order to get some sanity in our lives. Trump, a couple days ago, looking up at the sky in Wisconsin, mocking Jesus Christ is just the cherry on the top, right? Hopefully it was Orange giving his own eulogy. Hopefully that's what that was. Just despicable. And Biden, you don't need to post ads. We all know what this is. Stop with the, like, there's going to be change and revolution. Like, just, it's, it's, It's horridness versus something less horrid. Don't act like there's inspiration there. A career guy who who we're relieved to have since the last four years has been a uh, just a fat cartoon as president. And I'm seeing this as a human being, almost as an observer. I'm American. I've lived all over the country, the world, college degree, 
been all over the country nonstop for the last 15 years, different towns, different cities. I don't think I'm crazy. Trump's crazy. Biden's not crazy. Okay. Biden team has been kind of smart this past few months in terms of keeping Joe hidden. I mean, what else are you going to do, really? What, what choice do you have? But let this orange idiot have the stage and play it out, and it might just get Biden elected crazy enough. Okay, this is all objective. All right, we got to run here. Um, I just don't know how many middle people who like Trump, you know, it's always like what, people out of touch with reality. It's like white trash or or just people that are in it financially. Okay, let's do the tweets and get out of here. All right, Patrick Keene's tweets of the week, guys. On Monday, I tweeted, you know she's a body double if they're holding hands. <laughs> That's funny. Melania. If they're holding hands, then it's somebody else. It's not his wife because they don't have love. Okay. On Tuesday, I tweeted, hoping Blue wins again next Tuesday. Dodgers Biden because the Dodgers won last Tuesday. Blue. Dodger Blue. On Wednesday, I tweeted, my roommate just walked in on me clickbaiting. Get it? Instead of masturbating. On Thursday, I tweeted, Using, let's just wait till after the election, for way too many things. You know what I mean? Just wait till the election. Just let's wait till after the election. What, to clean the house? What? To wash the car? To shower? To wash the dishes? And you can go on and on. On Friday, I tweeted, accidentally called Alexa, Siri, and boy, did I have some explaining to do. Chicks, man, you know, called Alexa Siri. You ever do that? You ever call your chick their own name? God, no. I can't imagine the death that comes with that. Um, sorry. Thank you for listening. You know, um, I just, yeah, I don't, the Trump thing, man. People raised in Guardgate communities. When I was a kid growing up in a Guardgate community, well, I'm sorry, when I was a kid growing up, a Guardgate community was the exception. Now it's a lot more common. And you send kids into the world who have no street smarts, no world experience. I don't know where this is coming from. All right. Thanks for listening. I do appreciate it. I really appreciate listening. Um, I hope it's worth your time. I hope that tomorrow we uh, vote uh, sanity over vanity and, uh, and get this thing right. Subscribe if you like. Leave a message if you like any kind. The truth. Not trying to put something past people. Not trying to trick them into listening. There's not much. Uh, there's not music playing while I talk to keep up the pacing and make it seem more entertaining. There's very few jokes, very little humor, very little interest, actually. I'm kidding. There's all that. Thank you. Uh, from my LA and OC friends, thank you. Uh, comedian friends, thank you. Global Circle, thank you. All those, the village, right? We'll see you next week. Hopefully there's something different uh, in terms of White House plans. But regardless, you'll be hearing from me, all right? Five or six days after the elections happen. But by then, hopefully things are cooled off either way. But it might be the beginning of a new and different kind of funk if it's a if it's a uh, narrow victory by Biden and Agent Orange tries to fight it, if Agent Orange does in fact win, we'll really need to get each other through a dark, dark time. So then maybe the podcast can take off. Hopefully it doesn't happen, and we have a weird, uh, boring calm for the next four years. We can just deal with a boring president who says nonsense things instead of outlandish things. Um, okay, that's all for this week. God, it goes so fast, doesn't it? Mm, sometimes keen on things um keen of comedy on instagram on tiktok on uh twitter keen k-e-a-n-e -E of comedy all right thanks guys love you cheers